What's up, Chapel? It is so good to see you online. We miss you at Chapel. But man, God is doing some absolutely amazing and incredible things. I believe God's doing a new thing. We've seen thousands of people engaging with us online and through our prayer meetings and through Easter Sunday on YouTube, Facebook, our website. God is doing some incredible, incredible things. But we miss you. We believe after this is over, it's going to be better than ever. And it is the week after Easter, after Easter Sunday. And I think for many of us, we lose sight of the fact that Easter story is not the end of the story. When Jesus said it was finished, it didn't mean that it was over. When Jesus said it was finished, it didn't mean that the kingdom was over. When he said it was finished, he mean it's just beginning for you and I and for his kingdom. I think many of us lose sight that after the resurrection, Jesus spent 40 days traveling around, revealing himself to his disciples, teaching about the kingdom of heaven, showing what it was going to look like in the kingdom of heaven forever and ever, and then gave them a promise to go and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. Then he gave them another promise, said, I will return. And we're going to spend the next few weeks really learning what Jesus did, how his ministry continued, that the gospels didn't end at the resurrection. There's still a whole other chapter in almost every single gospel. When Jesus resurrected, he still stayed on earth and continued his ministry just like he did before the resurrection. So we're going to spend just a couple, couple of weeks really learning what did Jesus do and what did he teach and what did he accomplish in the 40 days before he ascended into heaven. Because here's my belief. My belief is there's too many believers, way too many believers that stop at the resurrection. There's way too many believers that actually stop at the cross. And when you stop at the cross, when you stop at the cross, you may know the love of God, but you don't know the victory in Christ. And when you just stop at the resurrection, you may know the the celebration or the victory, but you don't know the power because you didn't make it to Pentecost yet. And I want you to be a believer who understands the cross, who understands the resurrection, but also understands the power of Pentecost and has a hope for his second coming. And I think like for many of us, after Easter's over, we go back to normal. Like we get ready for Easter, we get our new clothes, we get our, our tulips, our, our lilies out, we get celebration with our family. And then in the next Monday, the next Tuesday, everything's just like it was before Easter, which means the resurrection didn't really accomplish much for your life. And the resurrection should change everything. And so here's my challenge. I believe God is wanting to do something new in you, in me, at chapel, in his church, in the world. But we can't be so quick to go back to normal. We can't be so quick to just go back to the way things used to be. We can't be so quick to go back to normal. And many times when Easter comes, we try to go back to normal. Normal means like conforming to a standard or going back to expectations, going back to comfort. But what if God doesn't want you to go back to the same standard? What if God doesn't want you to go back to the same expectations? What if he wants to give you new expectations? Don't go back to normal because God is doing something new. Don't be so quick to flee back to normal, to flee back to to where you came from. Let God do something new in this season. And we see this in Luke chapter 24. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there in Luke chapter 24. We're going to start in verse 13. And as you're turning there, in Isaiah, Isaiah 43, 19, Jesus is speaking through the prophet. He says, listen, behold, I do a new thing. All the old stuff has passed away. Do you not perceive it? 
So it's not a matter of if God is doing something new. It's a matter of if you perceive it. So whatever you use to read your Bible, whether your phone or Bible or iPad, whatever, get that out. Let's, let's read Luke chapter 24, verse 13 and on together. And so kind of know the story. This is the day after the resurrection. It's literally Sunday afternoon of the resurrection. And tons and tons of, of Jewish people had gone to the Jerusalem, gone to the city for the Passover celebration. And two men are starting to return back home after that celebration, after the Sabbath. It says that that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered and said, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem that has no idea what has happened here during these days? Meaning, are you the only person that's traveled to Jerusalem who hadn't heard about this Jesus, hadn't heard about this crucifixion, hadn't heard about this resurrection? And Jesus said to them, What things? Like, I love the sarcasm of Jesus. Like, what things? He knows exactly the things. But he says, What things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem and restore Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women from our company or, or our group amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying they had seen a vision of angels who said he was still alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. And he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted it to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he was going a little bit farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Jesus, st or stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures to us? And they arose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told them all that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. It's a powerful story of these two men, Cleopas and his buddy. They'd celebrated Passover in, in Jerusalem. I believe they were there when Jesus made his entry in Jerusalem, shouting out Hosanna. They were hoping he was going to restore Israel, kick the Romans out, and bring Israel back to its glory days. Then Jesus is crucified. They lose their hope. They stay in Jerusalem for the Sabbath because they couldn't travel on the Sabbath. Then the next day comes, they hear stories of the resurrection, but they still decide to go back home. 
It's a seven mile walk. For seven miles, they're walking, having this conversation. For seven miles, they're learning and talking about all the things that had happened during this last week. And a seven mile walk would take about three hours to walk. It'd be like walking from, from downtown Florence, from the corner of Court Street and Tennessee Avenue, all the way to the Shoals Creek Bridge. Or maybe it's the same distance as going from Christ Chapel all the way to Fame Studios in Muscle Shoals. Why? Because Muscle Shoals has got the swampers. To go that whole seven miles, three hour journey. And you, maybe you don't walk much in this culture. They walked all the time. They walked everywhere they went. And when I was in the Air Force, we marched or walked everywhere we went. And many times early in the morning in the desert in Arizona, we'd get up for PT at 4.45 in the morning and we'd have to run in formation out in the desert, up a mountain and back. And as you were running, it was dark and it was eerie, it's desert. We'd be in formation. And so I was usually towards the front of the formation because I was tall. And as you were running, you would actually hear things moving in the bush, in the, in the, side, of the, in the side of the road we were running on. And you'd see the whole formation that was running in formation. It would begin to move like a snake along the road, afraid of what was in the bushes. Then we're running back, and as we're running back, you would see all of a sudden it was either rattlesnakes or boars or all these crazy animals trying to move through formation. And I think many times in life, when you can't see what's on the road, you kind of get off track. And these two young men are walking to get back to normal. They're leaving Jerusalem to get back to normal. And so my question for you would be, why are we so quick to try to get back to normal? Like they didn't wait a day to find out if the resurrection stories were true. They didn't wait two days to find out if the story or the testimony of the, the women friends were, was true. They were so quick to leave Jerusalem, to leave their hope, to leave their dreams of restoration. They were so quick to go back home to normal. It's almost like many of us, we celebrate the resurrection. We celebrate Easter, but then we're so quick to go back to normal. So quick to go back to our routine. So quick to go back to our vices. So quick to go back to our comfort zones. And my question during this whole pandemic, is why are we so excited? Why are we so looking forward to getting back to normal? What, what if God doesn't want to take you back to normal? What if God doesn't want to take chapel back to normal? What if God doesn't want to take us back to normal? What if normal wasn't that great to begin with? Maybe normal is better in hindsight. We look back and we think, man, I miss having the freedom to do this. I miss this. But what if God is using this season is like a resurrection season for you. What if he's using it as a resurrection season for his church? We're trying to break up the normal. Because I've realized, man, when it was normal, normal was full of anxiety and busyness. Families that lived in the same house together but didn't spend any time together. Churches that gathered on Sundays and, and went through a service, but they weren't actually being the church or, or growing as disciples. What if normal... It's full of hopelessness. What if normal's full of isolation in a different sense? What if normal isn't that great to begin? Why are we so quick to go back to normal? I'll tell you, if you want to know what the enemy to your purpose is, or the enemy to your greatness is, the enemy to your destiny, or the enemy to your dreams, I'll tell you what the enemy is. The enemy to your hopes, your dreams, and your destiny is not the enemy, it's not Satan. The enemy to greatness is normal. The enemy to greatness is normal. 
You'll never find a move of God that happens in the normal routine. You'll never find great men of God or great women of God who are in the normal routine of life. Culture is normal. We're called to be counter-cultural. And maybe, just maybe, God is breaking up our normal. He's breaking up our normal so we can be who He's called us to be. So we can be who He's called for us to be. And so for them, for Cleopas and his friend, and for you, why are we so quick to run back to normal? And I'll tell you, the reason we're so quick to go back to normal is because we can't see the new possibilities around us. Jesus continues the story. Jesus shows up where they're at. Like he's literally in their space. He's in their life. He's walking with them. He's talking with them but they can't see him. It says they're blinded to who he is. Listen, everything they're looking for, all their hopes, the resurrection, Jesus himself, the restoration of Israel, the redemption of Israel, their peace, their joy, their love, everything they're looking for is walking with them down the road. For three hours, for seven miles, Jesus is walking with them, but they cannot see him. They cannot see him. That's crazy. Could you imagine these two guys, they're talking about the, they're literally talking to Jesus and don't recognize him. And the reason for that is many times, most of the time, we are blinded to reality. We're blinded to the actual reality because we only see what we're looking for. We only see what we're looking for. And they'd given up looking for the resurrection. They'd given up looking for Jesus. They'd given up looking for the restoration. So they wanted to go back to normal because they gave up on what they truly want. They gave up on their dreams. They gave up on their hopes. They gave up on the resurrection. And they had started going back to normal. Why? Because they got so blinded, so blinded by life. See, these guys, they start telling Jesus, yeah, we, we'd heard about Jesus when you went. This guy probably was there shouting out Hosanna when Jesus walked in the city. He was probably there when Jesus was crucified. And then all of a sudden now he's saying, we were hoping that Jesus, this prophet mighty in works and deeds, we were hoping he'd redeem Israel. And so you could say they were blinded now by their disappointments. That Jesus didn't come through the way they thought he would come through. And many times in life, we're blinded to the actual reality due to our disappointments, by our failures, our, our frustrations, our, our fears, our mistakes, our disappointments in people keep us from seeing love in new people. And many, many times we're blinded by these disappointments. Cleopas and his friend, they're walking with Jesus, but they're so blinded by their disappointments, they can't see Jesus. And they continue on, and Jesus says, Do you not know? Didn't you read that the Son of Man, He had to suffer in this way to enter into His glory? This is what the Scripture says. They were blinded by their own ignorance. Meaning, since they didn't know the whole puzzle, they just looked at one piece of the puzzle, they were blind to the rest of the puzzle. Maybe you're blind to the ignorance of God's goodness, God's love, God's mercy, because you only look at one facet of who He is. And then he keeps on and they said, listen, we'd heard that he'd been resurrected. Some friends of ours went to the tomb. They couldn't find him. They had a vision of angels. The angel said he's alive. And then our buddies went and checked it out. It was just like they said, but they're still going back to Emmaus. They're still walking back to 
normal. They're giving up on the new for the normal. Why? They were blinded by their doubt and their unbelief. And maybe you've given up faith. Maybe you've given up your hopes. Maybe you're blinded by your own doubt. See, there's a principle called inintentional blindness. Inintentional blindness means when you focus so much on one thing, you can't see everything else around it. If you check out YouTube and put inattentional blindness, you'll see videos. They did this research. They had a basketball game going on. They said, we want you to count how many times the basketball has passed from these teammates. And so they count. They're counting one, two, three. They're counting all these passes. At the end of the, of the video, they asked them, did you see the gorilla? And they're like, what gorilla? They were so busy counting the passes that they didn't see a man in a gorilla suit walk straight through the video because they were so focused on one thing, they missed everything else. Cleopas and his buddy are so focused on their disappointment, so focused on their ignorance, so focused on their fear, their unbelief, and their doubt, so focused they can't see that Jesus is right there with them. They can't see that everything they need is with them. All the hope, all the joy, all the peace, all the love, all their dreams, the resurrection is right in front, and they're leaving everything they need to go back to normal. So the question is, maybe you don't see the new possibilities. Maybe you want to go back to normal because you don't see the new possibilities because you are blinded by inintentional blindness. Maybe your marriage, you want to leave your marriage and start over to a new one or go back to how it used to be because you can't see the possibilities that God can restore and renew your marriage. Maybe for your family, you want to just leave. You want to turn 18 and leave your house because you can't see the new possibilities of God restoring your family. Maybe for you, you can't see the new possibilities of your career or your business or your ministry or your job. And so you're trying to run back to normal because you're blinded by the pain of the past. You're blinded by your past failures, your past mistakes. You're blinded by the season and you just want to get back to normal. What if normal is dead and God is birthing something new? So maybe you're blinded to reality because you can't see the new possibilities. But the good news is, Jesus opens up blinded eyes, not just physically like our physical sight, but he also opens up our eyes to his presence. He opens up our eyes to all the new possibilities, to vision, to hope, to peace, to love, to joy. He opens up, we serve a God who opens up our eyes. And maybe like Cleopas and his friend, like we overlook, maybe we ignore, or we just miss the presence of God. But we're already in the presence of God. Just like Cliff, they're walking with Jesus. Right now, Jesus is in your living room. Right now, Jesus is in your car. Right now, Jesus is at your house. Right now, Jesus is with you. We may ignore him. We may overlook him. We may miss him. But we're already totally in his presence. The only thing missing is our awareness of his presence. Cleopas and his buddy are in the presence of God. They just weren't aware that they were in the presence of God. And Jesus started opening up their eyes, opening up their vision, opening up their awareness. And he wants to do the same thing with us. With Cleopas and his friend, he goes right to the scriptures. And he says, don't you know that the Son of Man was supposed to suffer so he could enter into his glory? Then he starts in Genesis and goes through all the books of Moses, through all the prophets, and showing them how they revealed Messiah or how they revealed Jesus. Could you imagine being part of that conversation? 
Jesus literally taking you into a Bible study and showing you in Genesis how it revealed him as creator. Jesus says, that's me. I'm the creator. He goes into Exodus. He says, the Passover lamb, that's me. He goes to Leviticus. He says, I'm the high priest. And he starts going through all the Bible and showing how it all points to himself. The whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation points to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. There's nothing else to preach but Jesus. And Jesus is walking with them in this discussion, interpreting the scriptures. And that word for interpreting is hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the interpretation of scripture. And so Jesus is trying to reveal himself to Cleopas and his friend and to us through his word. Jesus interprets scripture to show who he is and reveal his presence in our lives through his word. Interpretation of scripture is key. It's not just knowing the scripture. It's knowing who the scriptures point to. In origin, one of the great uh, fathers of the faith way back in the 200 ADs, he used to say that he believed scripture had three levels of interpretation or three levels of meaning. Uh, a, a mental level or a literal level, a, a physical level, and a spiritual level, or a body, mind, and spirit level. Meaning every scripture you read has a, a, a mind level, meaning there's a knowledge to learn. There's a theology to learn. There's, there's something to learn in the scripture. Then it has a physical or a body level, which means there's something for you to do. There's something for you to change. There's morals to live by. There's standards to live by. So you have the mind, something to learn, the body, something to do, and the spirit side, the spiritual meaning, which means there's mysteries in God's word that he wants to reveal to you. There's mysteries in God's word he wants to bring to life to you. And as you learn to interpret scripture, as you learn to get in God's word, he'll reveal his presence to you. Mark Batterson, a great author, he said, Rabbis usually kick around Scripture. They said there's 70 faces to every word of Scripture. Meaning every word in the Bible you read, there's 70 facets to it. There's 70 ways that God wants to reveal himself to it, like a kaleidoscope. Every time you turn the Scripture, every time you turn your perspective, you see a new facet of God. You see a new place of his presence in your life. And maybe you're like Cleopas and, and you're walking, you're like, where is God at? I don't see him. I don't feel him. You're never going to be aware of God's presence until you get into his word. When you get into his word, then he'll reveal himself in your world and in your life. It's God's word that he used himself to reveal his presence to Cleopas and his friend. Tertullian said this, he said, it's not just the word, but when the Bible was coming into being, he said, I feel like we're trying to chase the Holy Spirit into a book. Now, this is before the Bible was even for. He said, I feel like we're trying to chase the Holy Spirit into a book because Jesus revealed himself through the word. And if you want him to reveal himself to you, you have to get into the word so he can show himself to you. But then Jesus also revealed himself to Cleopas and his friend through his spirit. At the end of their walk, after the end of seven miles and three hours of walking and talking and interpreting scriptures. They get to their destination. They get to Emmaus. And Jesus says, well, I got to go. And he, he starts walking down the road. They say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why, why don't you stay? It's getting late in the day. It's getting late. You don't need to be out at night. Why don't you come with us to our house and stay with us? And so they go and they sit down and they begin to break bread. And as Jesus takes the bread and breaks the bread and blesses it, all of a sudden they see that the man they've been with, for the last seven miles, for the last three hours, 
is the resurrected Jesus. And so that breaking the bread is a, is a long-time Jewish tradition. At the beginning of every meal, they would take the bread, and whoever was over the family or whoever was over the party would bless everybody at the table. He pronounced a blessing over them, a blessing over the food. It's almost like the Southern tradition of saying grace over the meal, except it wasn't praying just for the meal. It was putting a blessing on the people that were receiving the meal. And so Jesus takes this bread, and I don't know what he said, but I'm sure he pronounced a blessing. God, open up the eyes of Cleopas. Open up the eyes of his friend. Open up their eyes so they could see you in me. And the moment he broke it and pronounced that blessing, now they saw Jesus. And instantly he disappeared, which means he was in spirit form. What that means to us is Jesus reveals himself through his word, but he also reveals himself through his spirit. Meaning as you spend time, as Cleopas spent time focused on Jesus at the dinner table, focused on the presence of Jesus, the longer he paid attention to Jesus, the more he revealed himself to him. Maybe it started out as the stranger. Maybe then it went to friend. Then maybe it went to acquaintance. Then maybe all of a sudden as he starts to gaze upon Jesus longer and longer, he reveals himself not just as friend, not just as stranger, but as the resurrected Savior. How do we get Jesus to reveal himself in his spirit? Through prayer. Prayer is when you gaze into the presence of God. Prayer is when you draw your awareness and your attention to the presence of God. Prayer is when you focus upon God. Prayer is when you train yourself to pay attention that God is in the room. It's, it's amazing to me how many people say, well, I just don't know if God's real. How often are you spending time training yourself to pay attention to the presence of God in the room? When you pay attention to God in prayer, you'll start to see Him, and He'll see Himself, reveal Himself to you in every moment of your life. There's times and seasons where I'll pray through my schedule. I'll pray through every meeting. I'll get up in the morning, I'll pray over the kids' schedules, Toya's schedule, my meetings, my schedules, and it's amazing that when I do that, when I go to those meetings, I see the presence of God in that meeting. When I, when I go to this lunch appointment, I see God in that lunch appointment. I see God's presence more when I spend time and I train myself to be aware of His presence in prayer. So my question, if you're needing God to reveal Himself to you, He's already all around you. He's already in the room. You just can't see Him yet. Maybe if you quit ignoring His presence, maybe if you keep quit moving past His presence, maybe if you stop and slow down and dig into God's Word, when you dig into His Word, you'll see Him in your world. When you sit down with Him, and you spend time with Him in prayer, you begin to see Him in your life. And just like Cleopas, your eyes will open and everything will change within a moment. Everything you're looking for is already in the room. Everything you need is already in the room. Some of you have been walking your entire life next to Jesus, but you haven't taken your attention to Him yet. Now is the time not to go back to normal, but to begin looking for the presence of God and walking out, living with the presence of God in our lives. And so prayer is training ourselves to be aware of God's presence. And just like Cleopas and his friend, all of a sudden Jesus breaks the bread, pronounces the blessing. Now all of a sudden their eyes are open and they see Jesus. As soon as they see him, Jesus disappears. He, he vanishes. 
and the next thing that happens is crazy. Cleopas and his friend and Jesus just walked seven miles from Jerusalem all the way to Emmaus. Three hours in the hot desert sun. It's now nighttime. And nighttime was dangerous with thieves and robbers. It was so dangerous they told Jesus, stay with us for a minute. Now, after they realize who Jesus is, they get up from the table and they start making the trek all the way back to Jerusalem. They go back seven miles to Jerusalem. They go back three hours to Jerusalem. Why? Because they realized normal was not for them. Instead of going back to normal, they go back to the new. They go back to where they start. They go back to the resurrection. They go back to the last promise. And they go back looking for the resurrected Christ and telling others, listen, he is risen. He did what he said he was going to do. He is who he says he is. He has risen. They started telling everybody about it. And here's where the story gets super cool. Cleopas, this guy who I think was, we know as a disciple of Jesus, who was probably there when they shouted Hosanna as Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. He was probably there around the crucifixion. Then he leaves to go back to normal after the resurrection. Now that he's had the presence of God revealed to him, he goes back to Jerusalem, starts telling everybody about it. And then on the day of Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost, Cleopas is one of the 120 people in the upper room. He gave up normal to experience the newness that God wanted to pour out. Some of you, instead of being like Cleopas, you've gone back to normal. Some of you have gone back to where you come from. Some of you have gone back to your comfort zone. Some of you have gone back to your addiction. Some of you have gone back to your sin. Some of you have realized who Jesus is, but instead of going back to Jerusalem, you go back home. And Cleopas goes to Jerusalem. And on the day of Pentecost, he is one of the 120 who experienced the pouring out of God's Spirit. Do not go back to normal. Normal is dead. Something new is resurrected. Something new is born. Do not go back to normal. When the pandemic is over, when the quarantine is lifted, don't go back to isolated families living in the same house. Keep the bonding. Keep the relationships you have now. Keep the standards you have now. When all this passes over, don't go back to lukewarm Christianity. Go back to the upper room. Live a life in the upper room. Let your life be the upper room. Dead, dead, dead is normal. What if God doesn't want us to go back to normal? What if God is trying to do a new upper room? What if God wants to produce an upper room in your life? What if God wants to produce an upper room in your living room? What if God wants to produce an upper room in your family? What if God wants to produce an upper room at chapel? What if God wants to produce an upper room in the shoals? What if God doesn't want us to go back to normal? What if God is birthing something new? And I believe he is. I believe he's birthing something in you. I believe he's birthing something in me. I believe he's birthing something at chapel. And I'm here to challenge you. Don't go back to normal. Don't take the seven mile walk back follow Jesus. Father, we thank you for the blessings that even in chaos, we can see your presence. And Father, I challenge every person under the sound of my voice not to go back to normal. That Father, pursue you, let you birth something new. Father, there's a new movement being birthed. There's a new hope being birthed. There's a new family being birthed. There's new life being birthed. And Father, like Cleopas, I pray that you open up our blinded eyes to your presence. Father, let us see you in your word. Let us see you in prayer. Let us see you through dreams and visions 
and, and visitations and hopes and prayer meetings and services. Father, let us stop having services that are full of music and full of preaching, but are absent of your presence. Father, let us see you in the breaking of the bread. Let us see you as we lift up your name. Let us see you as we read your word. Let us see you when we preach your word. Father, I pray right now that normal is dead and you birth something new in every single life. And at chapel, you're birthing something new for a new move and a new hope and a new purpose and a new direction. And so we thank you for every person that's in viewing this right now, engaging with the chapel family. Father, I pray for those that are lost and broken. Father, I pray right now you release your spirit to convict them of their sin and draw them to Jesus, produce new life in them. Father, those who are backslidden and far away from you, Father, I pray that you draw the prodigal back home. Father, those who are hungry, Father, I pray that you fill them with your word and with your spirit. Father, those who are curious, maybe the atheist, the seeker, the agnostic, Father, I pray that you let them find truth, find answers, through these words. And Father, we bless you, we thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.